Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to episode 46 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the L-Town, Josh Hopkins. What up, Josh? What up, Rex? Looks like a beautiful day in Brooklyn. I have it a... From this point on, a delineation, if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor mm-hmm. and making that from the Lex town. I don't want to people to get confused. You from know, the Louisville, Lex town. Louisville, from the L town. And then well, and then I, I'm always like, eh, and then it looks like I'm putting ooh, on my L's. And oh, then that's I, right. Like, you can't whoa, do that. Whoa, whoa, we can't. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, I, that's a just, okay. I humbly. From the Lex town. Yeah. From the Lex town. You mind? No, oh. I don't. It doesn't roll off as well, just lyrically. You know, because I'm really into the lyrics. Yeah, you and, are. And uh, I'm a bit of a wordsmith. And, you are. You know, you are. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll take it under consideration. Take it under advisement. Okay, let me know. Hey, did you read anything this week? Oh, we're going to do book club. Yes, book yeah. club. Uh, I know that's going to throw people off, but <laughs> I actually did. And I did. I went big. I, I read one of the classics since last time we saw, I read Of Mice and Men, and it was, it is brilliant. Uh, Gary Sinise was in it, and John Malkovich. It was incredible. I thought, you're like a little bunny, I pet. I, I, I think that was a, a movie. I think you're talking about it. You, you watched Of Mice and Men. I read, read the read. I read the you, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't yeah. read anything That's at all. all right. Did you, did you read anything? I read some Netflix. That was about it. Uh, but uh, well, other than that, nope, didn't read anything. Well, that's been book club. Um, for episode forty-six, Josh. Uh, not many forty-sixes. It's a shitty number for sports. Um, and by shitty, I can only think of a couple of people, and we had to really research those and. Just not off the top of your head. We got Andy Pettit, 46, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Aaron Bain, mm-hmm. 46. Mm-hmm. Can you think of another 46? What number four, was Chuck Muncie? What, 46? Was, I'm just kidding. I have no, no idea. he's not. But I, he had a weird number. I remember Chuck Muncie. I, I, uh, that's the kind of thing I would have to break down into like a, my mind would go to a four for me. Well, Houston Powell, my friend Houston Powell's a four, <laughs> but I feel like Kyle Macy was a four. What's four? And four. And Dr. And J. Go to Dr. J as a, yeah. as a, as a as six. six. So I don't know how you down that way. You know, like if I was trying to remember, uh, you know, my numbers on the lock, I couldn't go 46. I'd have to break it that way. Where it's just, That's right. You know, it was 23. You know, I can keep 23. I can keep. All you know, 24 for Tom Chambers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I would have to break that one up. Not a lot of 46s. Uh Celtics and Warriors. Yeah. Uh the yeah. series is progressing. Celtics have taken the lead. It is progressing. 
It is progressing. Celtics taking the lead. We've got game four coming up. Game five back in the Bay. Uh, where do you see the series heading, Josh? Uh, yeah, I don't know when this will be released, when people see this, but um, tonight is the pivotal game. I mean, yeah. if Boston goes up 3-1, that's that's a problem. But also, if Golden State wins this, they then they've suddenly yeah. gotten every you know they've got home court back. Yeah, so you're right. It, I, I think Golden agree. State. I think Golden State wins Game Four if if Stefan's okay. He got landed yeah. on the other night. Uh, was kind of gimpy the rest of the way. Came out. If he's okay, I think they win. Um, but we'll see. It's a, it's what a fun series. Uh, somebody made a point the other day on. Uh, Twitter, Dart Adams, who's a, a huge Celtics guy. He said, he just kind of broke it down. He said, I'm trying to think about why people hate on these Celtics. Because if you, if they had on, if this particular team had on any other uniform, they would be one of the sexiest teams ever. And they really would. They'd have Jalen Brown, sexy. And Jay, and Jason Tatum, sexy game. You, Marcus Smart is the dirt workhorse. Yeah, yeah. But, but for whatever reason, people hate on them because it's Boston, right? Right. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, you just Because they're, se- they're as sexy as Golden State right now. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, you just don't think of that green and sexy because you think of the great teams like – Bird and McHale and yeah. the they they weren't yeah. they weren't even, sexy even at Paul, all. They were great. Paul Pierce, no Paul Paul had what it wasn't as sexy of a game. You know what I'm saying? But they, exactly that that team was mean. fun. But it it is. It's almost like because if you put them in the Warriors uniforms or the Lakers uniforms or yeah. OKC's uniforms, yeah, yeah, people would be in love with this team. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I love yeah. that. Um, all right, buddy. Well, we've got a great guest today. A terrific guest. I can't either. Episode 46. Let's get to it. We've got from Detroit, Fox League play-by-play voice, NFL on Fox broadcaster and everything else under the sun. We have Augustus Cornelius Johnson Jr. Gus Johnson, what's up, baby? What's up? The boy king, baby. (laughs) Man, I got two superstars I'm with today. I'm with the boy king, Rex Chapman. One of the only white boys I know that was in the dunk contest a couple of times. And my man, Hop, you know, actor extraordinaire, you know what I'm saying? So this is fun, man. Thanks for having me on y'all's show. Man, uh, thanks for coming in. We're excited. No doubt. We, we were talking a little bit before. I want to get into this. You said you, you got a, a cousin that's from Kentucky. It's Charles Hurt. Is that's it your right. cousin? That's my okay. cousin. All right, so Charles Hurt, a famous Kentucky basketball player. But before that, he was a senior in high school at Shelby County High School. And the two best teams in the state were my dad's team at Apollo High School. He was coaching the team. And Charles Hurt, Shelbyville, uh, Shelby County Rockets. And Apollo beat Shelby County in a Christmas tournament to give them their only loss. And then they drew each other in the – first round of the state tournament Apollo was undefeated Shelby County had one loss and Charles Hurt beat Apollo I was in the third grade and destroyed me just destroyed me but I can't believe you got that Kentucky connection man that's right well you know my dad was from a place called Lebanon Kentucky and then they later moved to Louisville where they grew up on uh, 14th and Walnut Street my dad 
went to St. Augustine Elementary School or junior high school, something, mm-hmm. no, well, elementary school, because he never made it past the third grade. He used to work wow. at the Brown Hotel. Uh, really? Louisville. Um, so uh, Kentucky is a big, 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 big part of my family. My whole family used to, uh, other part of my family used to live in the Beecher Tears. I don't know if you ever heard. You probably hooped back there, didn't you? In the beach, I, I hooped all over the place in Louisville, so I'm sure yeah, I did. So I'm sure you hooped. It was a great outdoor court. So, uh, yeah, man, Kentucky is a, has a really – we used to drive to Kentucky from Detroit to see family and go to family reunions all the time. So uh, I love Kentucky, man, always have and uh, always will. Charles Hurt was – I mean, that's, that's my formative years. He played with Derek Horde and Dirk Minifield, and he – was the original for me guy you didn't want to meet in an hour. I heard he, he beat was, up Charles Barkley one time. I believe he was, it. He was jacked. jacked. I mean, before they lifted like they do now, he was just ripped and thick. And I, I mean, he was, and, and kind of like a, not on the court, but off like a gentle giant. Yeah, type of guy. yeah just a great he ended guy. Up, he ended up working. I never met him, but growing up as a kid, I used to have, you know how back in the old days, uh, they would have a player picture and inside of it, you could open it up and it would say things about the player. But I used to have it in my room growing up as a kid. And uh, yeah, he was a thick dude. He was big and strong. People, I want to make sure people know, most people don't know, you were a hell of an athlete. I mean, you were all league shooting guard in high school. You were a quarterback, uh, all league quarterback in high school, captain of the team, played baseball and then played four years of baseball after that at Howard. Uh, when did you, did you fall in love with sports and when did you even get an itch at all to think, all right, maybe I'm going to do this broadcasting thing. Because you had to have been devoted to sports growing up to play it as seriously as you did. Well, I wanted to be like you, Rex. I wanted to be a pro at something, but unfortunately, I wasn't good enough. You know. Um, when did you figure that out? When I got to college. Okay. And I just, you know, I didn't do anything great. I didn't hit for power. I didn't have great speed. I didn't have incredible range in the outfield. And, or, Were you better in baseball? Were you better in baseball or better than in the other sports? I don't know, man. I, I just think I was a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And I think that's one reason I'm a pretty good sportscaster. Um, I played hockey from Mite all the way through Bantam as well. Wow. Sports is uh, I was a wrestler. Um, wow. For me, sports saved my life. Without sports, man, I don't know what I would have done. Uh, it was my salvation it was my refuge my sanctum sanctorium um i wasn't a great student to be honest with you wasn't even interested in school i just wanted to play ball because when i play ball any kind of ball whether it be baseball basketball football or any kind of game tiddlywinks checkers chess bumper pool anything i could kind of lose myself in in Growing up in Detroit, you know, just uh, Detroit is a beautiful city. I love my town, but it was hard in my in, in my neighborhood. It was dangerous. Uh, people got killed. So uh, I just try to stick my head, you know, in a ball or a bat or a hockey stick or whatever 
just to just to to ease my mind and ease my anxiety as a as a child growing up and uh when I got to college I found out I wasn't good enough to be even considered to be a professional in baseball so I kind of stumbled on this sports casting thing man and what how old were you what and what year I was a uh a redshirt sophomore, you know, and I wasn't playing wow. a lot. I was playing, but utility. So I was like the Tommy Brookins of my team. I could play. I played all the positions except uh, pitch and uh, shortstop. I love that you that you say that too, because yeah. especially with actors and everybody, like, oh yeah, I'd have gone pro, but I had my knee had a trick me or this or that. And I was like, no, you're not pro because you weren't good enough to be pro. Same as me. But they, every actor is like, yeah, I was going pro, but you know, I have a thing with my thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, no, no, you wouldn't go pro. You're, that's why you're acting. That's right. Hey, um, Gu- hey Gus, well, how did you, you, to backtrack a little bit, you talked about, you know, just anything that you could do to take your mind off the stress of growing up where you were growing up. How, how difficult was it to steer clear of, you know, the, the violence and, or, or any kind of stuff that you could get into? How was it, how was it, how difficult was that? And where did that come from to, to know I can't go down this path? Well, I had a strong father, first of all, who I feared more than God. Wow. Who, uh, you know, Rex, me and you the same age. And you know, my daddy was from Kentucky, so he believed <laughs> in a whole different kind of uh, discipline. Discipline, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't come with a a talk. Yep. The talk yep. came after the boogie. Yeah. So I was afraid of him. And, you know, that kind of thing, I think for me at that particular time in my life was a choice, meaning, you know, you choose to go into that life. And if you don't choose to go into that life, you know, and the choice that some people make is to go into that life is because of poverty. So I had got, because I was an athlete, they gave me a pass. Yeah. So I was going to private school, trying to do something with my life. I was a baby. And that's usually when they take them around eighth grade, ninth grade, get them working, doing things, you know, for their, well, their companies. Yeah. uh, They gave me a pass on that. So I could get on the bus, I could get to school. And then, you know, when I got, like to my junior year and I start getting my name written up in the paper. Then they kind of like, they was, they kind of put their arm around me in that regard. You know, wow. I had to worry about that. So they knew I was on my way to college and maybe I could have been a, been something, you know, bro, something, I don't know what that, you know, they, they, that's what happened. I get it. Um, you know, growing up in Detroit, a lifelong Detroit fan. How special was it growing up there in the in the 80s when uh, the Tigers and the Pistons both were world champions? Well, <laughs> look at it this way. I wore number 11 in high school. <laughs> of course. Um, that know. picture, I can still see him. That oh, picture right. on the Sports Illustrated with the Adidas top 10s on, right? Yes. Right? And he had his legs curled up in the air. Yeah, yeah. 
I tried to do my <laughs> I tried to do my uh my senior picture, action picture like that, but the photographer, I couldn't keep my legs up in the air longer. <laughs> but my legs is all coming down. It's such a whack looking picture. I was like, ah. But uh yo man, Isaiah Thomas, that's all I got to say. That's my that's my hero. Still is to this day. You say something bad about I remember I got into a fight in college over Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> the Pistons were playing the Bulls, and my one of my best friends was Timothy Conley. Timothy was from Chicago, so you know nobody really had a TV. So we all would watch the game in the common area. So the Bulls are playing the Pistons, and Timothy is talking all this trash about Isaiah. And I was like, "Yo, Tim, man, yo, man, you need to pump your brakes on talking about Isaiah Thomas, man. You know we from Detroit, so we don't." And he kept going and going. And then he said something, and I just swung on him. Wow. So all of a sudden, me and him, Timmy and I, are this is my best friend. We hoop together every day when I wasn't practicing baseball. And we rolling on the floor. You know, they break us up. They send me to my room. Timothy goes out into the front, gets a brick, comes to my dorm room because he used to hang in there all the time. He takes the brick and he throws it to him knocks almost knocks my door down i open the door before he could say anything bam i hit him and we fighting again and then they break us up so the next day and this is all of isaiah Thomas. the next day i'm walking out of class to i'm walking out of the dorm to go to class and here come tim i'm like oh shit i got my good clothes on and i got my book i'm about to get down with this and he bigger than me too he was bigger than me uh, he was like six two, and so he walked up to me, and I walked up to him, and he just busts out laughing and smiling, and we hugged each other. Like I'm sorry, man. I mean, you know, I, you know, I get a little emotional when it comes to not only the, but especially. The- <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Over Isaiah. Over yeah, Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah, you know, and I told Isaiah that story too. Oh, uh, that's great. In 10th grade, I went away to a school like a boarding school. My my roommate. T. Faircloth, and we both played on the basketball team and great buddies. And then one day, it was when Rex was at Kentucky playing. It was his freshman year. And uh, or sophomore, I don't know, but T said, oh, Rex, actually, he's just such a pure shooter. He goes, he's not really a shooter. He's more of a, a scorer. And I was like, what? He says, more, not only, I said, he's one of the greatest shooters of all time. <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect he's kind of right he was did a lot he scored a lot of them but i was so angry right. he was like you're gonna fight me i said if you say that again say that again right. <laughs> so i get it yes i get it i defended this man before long before he knew who i was and the funny oh. thing is he was a pure shooter that was also a scorer so yeah boom. yeah in retrospect i'm sorry t i'm sorry t. Fair Club. my bad <laughs> one question i get all the time is rex how can I break into working in basketball? Or what are the best ways to deepen my understanding of the NBA? And my immediate answer is always, sports business classrooms, business of basketball, immersive experience. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. It's an immersive program that takes place inside Summer League in Las Vegas, where you will get training and scouting, media, the salary cap, basketball operations, and analytics from industry leaders. Past instructors and guests include Commissioner Adam Silver, Mike D'Antoni, Masai Ujiri, Daryl Morey, Mike Green, 
Zach Lowe, and many, many more. This year's session runs from July 10th to 15th in Las Vegas. So if you're interested, check out sportsbusinessclassroom.com as soon as possible as space is limited and this program is in very high demand. And I have a discount for you. Enter the code front office at sign up and get $300 off. That's front office for $300 off. If you're interested, check it out today at sportsbusinessclassroom.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Gus, uh, I don't want to talk politics, uh, uh, but you studied poli sci. Why? Well, I mean, where did that come from? Where did that itch? You know, where did you scratch? How, why did you uh, decide that? Well, I went to a Jesuit school. It was really hard. Um, I came from a, uh, I came from, uh, I came from the hood, man. So we didn't have the same, you know, you go from, a school in, in the inner city. And then all of a sudden now you're studying with Jesuits and it, it, it was like going from zero to a million, not a hundred. Wow. Wow. So I was overwhelmed, especially with the science and the math. That was hard, but I gravitated towards history. And I had two teachers, Mr. Sam, who was my um, freshman year world history teacher and Mr. Forrester, who was my junior year government teacher. And they instilled a lot of confidence in me about my curiosity about politics and history. And I remember, you know, I was an athlete, so, you know, and I, and I really wasn't in the school like that. I remember at my junior year, Mr. Forrester pulled me outside of the class and he said, you know, you can do really well in this class. I just need you to buckle down just a little bit more. You get a good grade in this class because you're saying good things. Just make sure you write your papers and spend some time on your papers and make sure they're grammatically correct. And, uh, and I got a good grade in that class. I got a B. And for me, that was a big deal at my school. So when I got to college, I thought, well, maybe, man, you know, maybe I'll be a, a congressman or something senator i didn't know you know you a baby yeah, I, didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know so i just started majoring in political science and i liked it wow. at howard i liked it and uh and i and i love that's I amazing because that's that's so interesting because you know you admitted earlier i didn't even really care about school i say that as well i didn't i wish looking back i wish i had cared more um but you know that teacher made a profound impact on you, just giving you a little bit of confidence to, right. you know, isn't that amazing? And right. we see it in sports all the time. You know, 
there's a very thin line between like making it and professionally and not making it. And sometimes it just boils down to someone just believing in you, a coach, a GM, somebody giving you an opportunity, but somebody making you believe in yourself. That's just beautiful, Gus. Yeah, man, to me, what I've learned as a 50, about to be a 55-year-old man that's been in the, in the sports world in a major way, it's all about coaching. Everything is about coaching. Michael Jordan could have been Michael Jordan without Dean Smith. It's just a, a fact. You know, yet what's that old thing they say about Dean Smith? He held Michael Jordan to 16 points a game, but showed him how to average 30 in the NBA for a career. So uh, that little bit of coaching, that little bit of encouragement, that little bit of knowledge, just knowledge, just, you know, it's just, and I'm a very coachable person. That's what I will say about myself. I'm not going to argue with the coach. Just Mm -hmm. tell me what to do so I could be good because I want to win. And I know if I win, then the prom queen may want to go out with you. <laughs> Smart man. Now that's a politician. That's a politician. <laughs> oh, Gus. And didn't, uh, you, didn't you start with, when you got into broadcasting? Were you just uh, like a news anchor, weren't you? Like not no, sports? I've always no. been a sportscaster. Always sports. I just figure with the poli sci major, that would uh, make sense. But, but yeah, it was always sports, huh? Well, what happened to me is, you know, I started in the poli sci and then I learned that I wasn't that good in baseball, as good as I, I needed to be or I thought I was, whatever. And then I stumbled into the broadcasting and then I minored in, in communications. And when I stumbled into the broadcasting, after I got under the hood, it was over. I mean, really? over, over, over. You know, you know, I talk to kids all the time. And you know how kids are. And you know how we were. Well, not you, Rex, because you knew what your destiny was in college. I did. Um, but when I stumbled into broadcasting, Pop, like, I fell madly in love. Like, That's head crazy. over heels. Obsessive. In love, I knew, okay, because daddy said, he said, hey, boy, all this schooling is cool, but you better walk out of there with an education. I mean, you better walk out of there with a job, so you better figure out what your hustle is while you're there. Wow. So I'm sitting there scratching my head. I thought my hustle was going to be baseball, but, I, you know, I, that was, I was delusional. Um, but then I found this, and then when I found this, man, it was like, you know, I, it was it was one of those things where break up with your girlfriend. You ain't got no time. You got places you got you gonna be. Wow. So no attachments. No nothing. And, uh, and were you naturally hard. good at first? Were you naturally good? I was naturally good. God, naturally good. Yeah. Because you know I grew up because I'm a boys club kid. So yeah, I am too. Yeah, I started the boys club at six years old and went all the way through college. And. Uh, they used my mother. My mother used to put me in with the boys club would have was oratorical contests and stuff. And I used to win. Wow. So I knew I could talk. Sh- talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so once I found it and mommy put me on the on the right path, I mean. It's been the greatest. At, at what age was that? Nine. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Wow, that is. That's great. Nine, Nine years old, man. Nine How, years old. Uh, Gus, how important was Brian Gumble 
when looking at broadcasters who influenced you, uh, or at least favorites of your mom's? <laughs> yeah, I see you be doing research, man. <laughs> Ryan Gumble is, I'm here because of Brian Gumble. I'm sitting right here in front of you because of Brian Gumble. Because what happened was after I won those oratorical contests, uh, in 1979, rather, when Michigan State played Indiana State for the national championship in Salt Lake City, Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson. You know, I'm from Michigan, so we all love Magic. So we're sitting there watching the game, and the game comes on, and all of a sudden I see this angelic face who looked like me. He was handsome. He had pearly white teeth. He was natalie attired. His hair was looked like it was silk. And he was articulate. And it was Bryant Gumbel. And I think my life changed when that game came on. My mama saw that. First of all, I think she had a jive time crush on Brian Gumbel, which most <laughs> yeah. women did back then. Yes, of course. But she started beating me over the head with this dude. You know, unfortunately for me, not long after, so 1979, 79, I was born in 67, 77, so I'm 12. So by the time I hit high school, Bryant uh, had transferred from sports to the Today Show. Mm-hmm. So every freaking morning, this dude is in my house. And my mother is beating me over the head with him, beating me over the head. Well, yeah, today, Brian, hey, boy, did you see today, Brian interviewed the president of Venezuela? Oh, and yesterday he talked to the president of Russia. You know, Brian is doing this. and Brian is doing that. And look at that suit he had on. Boy, I tell you, man, he look a little bit like you, too. Every day for 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 for. for 12 <laughs> for all the high school every day every day man yeah, to the it. point where i was like yo ma check this out uh why you always throwing this dude on me i don't want to be no brian gumble i don't even know it i want to be i want to play second base for the tigers i'm yeah. going to replace lou whitaker that's my job <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do obviously she 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 saw me play and she knew that <laughs> <laughs> Replacing of Lou Whitaker, so she instilled that in me. And then when I, when I went, to, when it was time for college and the applications, I had to fill out the application. She would say, "Baby, um, you know, write your essay, fill out the application, and give me the application and the essay, and I'll put the check with it." And she would always check out these boxes on communications. So I would get all this stuff on communications. And I was like, "What? what is it? I why they? Why they putting me?" So then I got to college and the baseball didn't turn out the way I thought it would. And I'm doing political science, which was cool. And I, I was doing pretty good. I was getting B's without really even trying because of that Jesuit education. But then when I, when I stumbled on the sports casting thing, which was a divine experience, it was the, almost a, a weird miracle-like experience a hierophany. A hierophany is when you experience something divine that you know is divine. And that's what happened with the sports casting thing when I finally got, got into it. And everything mommy had driven into me about Bryant 
clicked. Wow. Oh, now. You know, they say a mother's wit, you know? Yeah. The mother's love, a mother's knowledge, a mother. She knew. And she planned it out. And even though I didn't want to follow that path, uh, cosmic law forced me to follow it. And that's why I'm sitting next in front of you right now on this crazy, great project. Speaking of cosmic law, what, what beautiful. You, you, I saw that you were taking some classes at Harvard. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And I saw at one point you said in one of the classes you're studying in a cosmic law collective effervescence. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, please uh, what give, is me that? Your, give me your horophity on that <laughs> uh, cosmic law is the way the universe is set up it's uh, something that goes all the way back to the ancient Aztecs and how they understood cosmic law and how, basically it's you know, they use the word cosmic law, but it's it's how God has set things up and things. And what they say about cosmic law is this cosmic law. It doesn't conform to you. You conform to it. For example, Jesus. His last words on the cross, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Cosmic law would answer because Jesus, you we're supposed to make this sacrifice. You couldn't negotiate around it. And that's what cosmic law is. It's how the universe is set up. And it's, it's, it's something that as human beings, we cannot grasp. We don't understand it. Like Socrates said, the one thing I know is I know nothing. And he was considered the smartest, one of the smartest, you know, the, one of the founders of Western philosophy which is a philosophy that we live under today. So that's the system that's created. And the decisions that are made unbeknownst to us that steer us into whatever uh, realms that we go in to in uh, our human uh, journey. Uh, collective effervescence is, you know, Collective effervescence is, is human beings, you know, we have all these, these different kinds of natures, homo ludic, homo erotica, uh, homo neckens, homo neckens are the, the human killers, homo erotica is our desire to want to feel, to want to touch, um, to have sex, uh, homo ludic, the hom a homo ludens or a homo ludic nature is to want to play games, all kinds of games, whether it's the games that we play in sports, or it's the games you play in the office, or it's the games you play with your wife or your, or your boyfriend or your, you know, your teachers or your bosses, the games that men play. But for collective effervescence, it's being able to have, in order to have collective effervescence, you have to have a, a shaman or a priest or a rabbi or a reverend and it's like when you go to church, here's a perfect example of collective effervescence. When you go to church and the preacher or the priest or the rabbi is giving you this rousing sermon and you collectively have this feeling that you rise up to during the sermon and everybody is connected and everybody is 
feeling it. Everybody, it's collective in that moment. And that leader is leading you to that crescendo spiritually. And uh, once you attain that, and then the service ends, or even if it's a rock concert, or even if it's a ball game, you know, Kentucky taking on, I've called Kentucky and Louisville before, Kentucky taking on Louisville at Rupp. It's, even though the Kentucky fans are rooting for the Kentucky fans, and the Louisville fans are rooting for the Louisville fans, we're all connected in that 23,000 seat arena, which by the way, is the greatest arena in college college basketball. It ain't even close. So you rise up, you experience that. And then when the service ends, you come down and you look forward to doing the same thing the next week. So the reason that collective effervescence is important to me is because, you know, sometimes I don't really understand why, and I say this so humbly, why I've had such an impact on people watching games. I can't see myself call the game. I can't feel what they're feeling. But what I realized is in my job, I'm serving as that leader to bring everybody together during the telecast of the game. And what I've been fortunate enough to do through the grace of God, through God working through me and my spirit, I always say a prayer before every game. I say, Lord, let me be the conduit between you and the message you want to get out to your masses. And from the first time I said that prayer, crazy shit has happened, man. Like I've seen and I just lose it. I get lost in it. I, I, I don't judge it. I just, I just let it go. And from what I'm learning, when I, when I took this religious dimensions of, Human Experience Apocalypse class with Dr. David Carrasco, bad dude. Um, I realize that that's what I've been doing. I've been that leader that has helped establish through the broadcast for 25 years, collective effervescence, that good feeling, man, that good feeling. And um, yeah, that's what that is. Well, that, thank you, first of all. Absolutely. Uh, that's Amazing. And I definitely think the cosmic law brought you to this uh, podcast because we often say that this should be called the Rex and Josh show that after every podcast, we feel like shit about ourselves and stupid. Because <laughs> and again, there you are just just dropping science, literally political science. No. And, and we are. Um, uh, that's a That's a beautiful way to put it a beautiful thing and you absolutely are so good at bringing us together being our eyes and ears uh you're always and you're known for just such big energy and and great you've got you've got some of the greatest catchphrases in all of sports i want to get to that and uh you are eyes and ears so that's it's it feels great to know that that's what you're trying to do because that's what you do so well. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. You know, selfishly, the greatest gift that my career has, has given to me is making people happy. Like, I just, I had a guy, I did the Big Ten Championship. I've done the Big Ten Championship with 
10 or 11 straight years. So in Indianapolis, where the game is called at the, what I call the Peyton Manning Dome, uh, Lucas Oil, the booth is right in the stands kind of. So I can step out and kind of sit down in one of the stadium seats right in front of the booth. So recently, Ohio State fan, big dude. You know, I'm sitting right here and he's down there, maybe 12 yards from me. And he, uh, and he looks at me sitting there and, he's, and he yells at the top of his lungs, Gus Johnson, you make me happy. Wow, that's great. <laughs> then I said, thanks, man, I appreciate it. And he goes, no, Gus Johnson, you make me happy. And uh, embarrassingly, I get that all the time. And to me, that's the, that's the gift. That's, that's the shit. That's the I'm shit. doing something right. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, yes. Yo, man, sometimes it can bring tears to my eyes. Some the reactions that I get from some, some of the fans that watch the games. I'm so humbled by it. I just have so much gratitude, so much gratitude. Because, you know, business is business. And you know how that is, Rex. You know yeah, how that, yeah. is, that is. But, man, have you always been this excited watching hoops, watching sports? Uh, and how did people mistake um, – you know, your excitement for inauthenticity at times. Yeah, you know, that's part How of it. That's crazy to me. Cynical. Yeah, a lot of people are cynical. But the good thing is I've been doing this now as a network announcer for 27 years. So if you that's can't insane. figure out whether or not I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm authentic <laughs> or not, then, you know, that's your business. How, but were you, were you like this as a kid? Did you, were you loud watching games? Did you get into the games and were you emotionally invested in them? Like I can imagine you were Josh and I, you know, coming up in Kentucky, much like yourself, either playing, playing a sport or watching a sport to escape whatever else is going on in your life. But were you, were you that way? Did you get invested in games you had nothing to do with, you know, Rex, I'm just loud, <laughs> loud, man. Like my family is loud. We laugh loud. We, we love loud. We, we loud people and we're not afraid. And as an athlete that played all the different sports, you know how it is, Rex, you're a pro. You got to be loud sometimes, yeah. you know, let's go. Here we go. Come on. Like let's win. Let's, let's have fun. Let's, Let's win. I want to win. Yeah. I have a problem with losing. Same. But, you know, it, it, you say it so well. It's just uh, it's funny that uh, you say it can it's it is authentic. But you make a good point in that it sometimes in sports, in order to win, you've got to be corny. Right. you got to. Let's go. Let's go. What are we doing? You know, it, it's okay to have a little coolness slip out at times, right? Because right. you care. Right. Because you care. Right. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, my whole thing has always been, I love to delight in the excellence of other people. That's my mantra as a sportscaster, to delight in the excellence of other people. And as I've gotten older, I realize 
that for me, I've called thousands and thousands of games. But for that, but for that kid that's getting off that day, mm-hmm. this is a family heirloom for him. It sure is. He will he will watch this, his children, his children's children, and his children's children's children. His family will put this in a family archive and it will last forever. So when did you realize that? When did you realize that was what was going on? I always kind of knew it in my heart. Okay. Because in my spirit, because I wanted to be out there. Yeah. I I, I, I would see I would see myself and I would ask myself, I would say to my and I wouldn't even just I would just feel it. I wouldn't, damn, I I wish. I wish I was at Cameron giving these dudes the business. This guy is, I remember the first time I saw Alan Iverson, I was like, <laughs> I was like, he was a freak of nature. Like yeah. he was my height yep. and he could touch the top of the square. Yeah. And it just brings me so much joy to watch these kids or these <laughs> pros who are still kids, who are kids to me now. Yeah. Do what they do, and I mean, Steph Curry, I mean, a phenomenon. Just and and I get to be a part of that, and to me, that means everything. Speaking of which, friend of the show, Steph Curry, but um, he uh, he tracked you down after his last Davidson game. Needed a picture. What was that like? Well, it's interesting because even though he was a college All American. Who knew? Right. Who knew? I mean, yeah. he, he put on a show in, in Detroit that weekend, but nobody saw. Nobody saw yeah, this. Nobody. Nobody. Like, yeah. I never seen anything. Like, I, I think, I think to be honest with you, Rex, and I love Steph. That's my boy. I, I'm just so proud to know that I was, I, I saw that with my own eyes. Yeah. And my and my voice is on that because every every game that you call and I see you calling games. So always keep this in mind, no matter the biggest or the smallest. Every game is a historical piece. We are not just sportscasters or journalists. We are sports historians. And I'm very proud of that. I'm very, very proud of being a part of our profession. So uh, I always say. Lately, I've been saying, you know, I think Steph Curry has single-handedly ruined the game of basketball because he's the only one that can do all that. And all these other fools are taking 25 and 26 foot jump shots early in the shot clock. I was watching, I was watching Golden State the other day. It's like the shot clock is at 22 and they're launching up threes down by four in the fourth quarter that don't make sense to me. I don't, Rex, I don't understand this, this analytics, them dudes that, them dudes play ball. Them analytical dudes, because it doesn't make sense. I mean, right now you can look at Golden State as this podcast is being broadcast, and they got no inside game. Nobody can get to the basket. I think if Clay's himself, you know, it's it's totally different. Hopefully, he'll get back to being himself. But no, I'm with you. It is. It, I I'm I'm put piecing together now. Now, you know, your ability, you know, because every game is not a nail biter. Every, every game is not a great game. Your 
your historical knowledge, not just in sports, but <laughs> that you studied has to have prepared you well for storytelling. Uh, you obviously, your memory is obviously great, but how has your history background really helped you with, with what you do? You know, I think the most important thing is to understand everybody's creation story. You know. Understand something about the person. Rune Arledge, the great ABC executive president during the Howard Cosell days, said the most important thing was to be up close and personal. What makes this person tick? Why are we interested in him? You know, okay, we see that he could jump high and dribble good and shoot the ball from far out. But who is he? Yeah. Who is Rex Chapman? Who is the boy king? Who, you know, his dad was a coach, came from Kentucky. Um, what makes him go? What is his relationship like with his mom, mm -hmm. his dad, his community? What is he into? How does he feel? So when the game is a dud, you got to be able to go <laughs> take a deep dive into who, into who our human beings are that are participating in these activities that we're interested in watching. Steph Curry's record-breaking three-pointer, Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating alley-oop, John Morant's poster dunk. NBA Top Shot is where the greatest moments from NBA history are turned into officially licensed digital collectibles. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards by making it easier to buy, sell, and collect by removing the hassle of grading, shoeboxes, and shipping fees. You can buy or sell moments in a few clicks and access them at any time on your phone or computer. Your collection is always at your fingertips. Start collecting Top Shot moments in any way you want. Collect rookie moments from future stars like Evan Mobley and Kay Cunningham. Collect throwback moments from former NBA stars like Shaq and Allen Iverson. Or collect moments from your favorite team to gain access to exclusive perks. Grab your starter pack today and Top Shot will give you $20 back to start your collection and pick up some of your favorite moments in the marketplace. Go to about.com nbatopshot.com slash bballnews and get in the game today. You were growing up in broadcasting just as the Knicks were kind of, go well, they were going to the finals. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you remember from those teams and, and including your, you know, your classic Allen Houston buzzer beater? The Knicks, man, that was, one, that was a, one of the golden ages of my life. And uh, just being around Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, Larry Johnson. Franchise, yeah. I mean, just being around Beast, you know, he he really helped make my career because uh, he took me, he wrapped his arms around me. He saw I was young. He saw that, you know, working in New York, man, it's, it's not a game. It's no joke. It's, it's a lot of doggy dog stuff going on. But because of Pat, and us forming that relationship that we formed. And he, and Pat let me do long form interviews with him. And he's not easy to get close to. You know that. Yeah. I love that dude. Yeah, love him. Man. The first day I ever met him, man, 
you know, I had to make one of those decisions. You know, the first day I met him, <laughs> they had sent me into the Nick locker room to um, interview the players. And the most important thing was to get Patrick. It was my first day. Wow. Right. And I went over to Patrick's locker and it was so crowded that I couldn't even get the microphone in. So, you know, it was my first day. So I said, okay, well, I'll go interview some other guys and then I'll come back. So I interviewed some other guys and then I came back and Patrick was just sitting there as he always would after games with his robe around his shoulder, his Nick robe and his foot in two big feet mm -hmm. in big buckets of ice in the corner. Yeah. So I went over to him and I said, hey, Pat, how you doing? My name is Gus Johnson. My first day on the job. Um, can I, I just want to ask you a couple questions. He, and Patrick was like, no, nah, man, interviews are over. So I, so I said, no, but I got some other guys. And I just want to ask you a couple questions. My first day. Uh, no, I said interviews are over. And I said, uh, and I did not start to panic because... <sighs> My producer said, don't come back unless you got Patrick. And I'm, now I'm panicking. I'm shaking a little bit. I said, no, Patrick, I'm sorry. I'm not just, um, it's my first day, man. Um, Howie Singer, my producer, told me that I have to get you, you know. He said, hey, man, I told you, interviews are over. No interviews. So it was one of those points. I had, and I couldn't even help it. It just came out. I was like, motherfucker, it's my first freaking day on the job. If you don't interview me, if you don't let me answer some questions, big fella, you not getting out of this room. I guess that Detroit shit just came out of me, man. I didn't know what the, I just, I was so scared. And he looked at me and scowled. And you know, Patrick, with that smile, all of a sudden that big old smile came on his face. He said, come here, boy. Hi, I'm going to do interviews, but don't be late next time. And from that moment on, and he'll tell you the story. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I that's just, and I was great. Yo, Rex, hop. I was scared. I was like, nah, man, I'm not getting fired on my first day. That's like Craig getting fired on his day off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> on Friday. And, and pe people don't understand Patrick back in that day. I mean, he was, bit, he was New York. I mean, he was this city and he was the franchise. Uh, Man, it took some big balls to do that. Yeah, to Gus. <laughs> you know, that was a golden golden age for me too, Gus. And you were a big yeah. part of that because I had just moved to the city then, living in the shoebox and 28th and Broadway. And so I'd watch the first quarter or sometimes listen on the radio because my bootleg cable wasn't working that day on MSG. And then I'd listen to you. I'd and then I'd after the first quarter, I'd run over to the garden and all the tickets they were just giving them away two bucks just give me two bucks for it and right. then go watch the rest of the game but that was that you know beginning when 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 you're young and in the city and that vibe i mean that was magic i have a question for you josh uh was that when did you watch were you living uh and going through that in new york or was lloyd doing that <laughs> I had a I had a pseudo name in, in, in New York. He likes to bring up and and I was Lloyd. He just decided to go by why. Lloyd for a for a couple of years like in Lloyd. New York. My name's Lloyd, and and would just walk around. And later, like people, once I got 
on TV and stuff, like people would write me like, hey, Lloyd, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, yo, Hop, I had one, too. I was Christian. All right. All right. Lloyd and Christian would have been. They would have been boys. Oh, my God. In New York City that time. We were on the streets, Christian and Lloyd. No question. Hey, uh, we're going to let you get going here. Let's wrap, let's wrap things up. Hey, uh, thanks for doing this, Gus. I, I got to ask, yeah. ask Go a ahead. couple of things. I want to know, because one of my favorite phrases you say, and I don't want to butcher it, but when someone's really fast on that football field, I love this. What do you say? He got getting, Someone, away, from, he got yeah. getting away from the cop speed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got in a lot of trouble for that initially. They said I was being racist. They said I was being racist. I said, I'm black. I said, first of all, how am I being racist? Explain that to me. Because you're inferring that only black people have getting away from the cop speed, I think. So how am I going to be racist against my own people? A. And B, you must have not watched that show Cops. Because I saw a lot of white boys down in Florida flying. Yeah. 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 Exactly and then right. one I just find it so interesting in your career because you were so energetic and 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 talkative and have all these catchphrases. And then one of the most seminal moments of your career is a football game. Um, I have uh, 2015 Stanford, Notre Dame. There is unbelievable game back and forth and then Stanford kicks a winning field goal the place goes crazy and what's your call on that I didn't say anything exactly mm-hmm. you just watched just yeah, let it was, breathe just let it happen I mean what it, and it was it, it's beautiful you know just and it just throws it in this time where you're just taking it in and you don't need anybody to usher you through this. You don't need someone's eyes and voice at that moment, at that specific moment. And that's one of the, the things you're known for is that call, which was not a call. Beautiful. Did you, how did you think of that at the moment? Because everything you've been trained is to put a button on this thing. You know, I took a lot of act. I've, I've been at hop. Me and you got a lot in common. I've been an actor since I was in high school. And when I got to New York, I went into some really intense acting classes with some incredible teachers. One in particular is a man by the name of Douglas Turner Ward, who was the artistic director of the Negro Ensemble Company in New York City. And all the great African-American actors came through the NEC. Denzel Washington, Sam Jackson, Adolph Caesar, Hattie McDaniels, Felicia Richard, um, Debbie Allen, just to name a few but there is just a who's who's list. Uh, Bobby Hooks established that, who Ke- Kevin Hooks' father, uh, with Doug, Douglas Turner War. And when Doug would come over, you know, acting class for us was cool because sometimes acting class was sitting at the bar and just having conversation. You know, he used to always say, you know, I said, well, you know, the Meisner technique and the Adler technique and, you know, Stanislavski and all that stuff. I would be, you know, trying to be smart with him. He was like, man, look, just play the words. What do the words say? Whatever the words say, play. And then once you get it into your system, the most important thing he said, and the hardest thing for an actor to do 
is to listen. Once you master being able to listen in your sports casting, because the acting was to help my sports casting. Because mm-hmm. um, I always believe in education. I think education is game. He said, once you understand that in your sports casting, you'll be able to create moments out of silence. And so that kid, Conrad Ucropina from Pasadena, California, still remember him now. He kicked that field goal in Stanford, beat Notre Dame. During that time when he kicks that field goal, historically, you know that for the rest of his life, he's going to be a hero at Stanford. Even when he's an old man and his children and his grandchildren come to celebrate him at his university. When he kicked that field goal, there was nothing to say. I just wanted to hear it. I wanted to see it. I wanted to feel it. Because if you can hear it, you can feel it. And I just thought, I didn't have anything to say. I would have been corny if I would have said something. You would have forced something in there. Man, it's just beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, man. Yeah. Gus, what's your favorite movie? I have to be honest with you. My favorite movie. This is going to sound so crazy and it's going to, it's not going to make, it's not going to sit well with you, Rex. Oh, I already know what it is. I love Hoosiers, man. Mm-hmm. I knew that was coming. I love Hoosiers, man. As as he, like, he goes, oh, the, yeah. he goes on the court he... and he measures the rim and they're in Indy. Mm-hmm. Gene Hackman. Yeah. But right I, I now, thought, I'm, right now. I thought you OG were going to go with Texas Western. Say I what? thought you were going. I thought you were going with Glory Road. That was gonna be like, God damn. That was good. About <laughs> Hoosiers, Hoosiers, yeah. nicely done. Hoosiers. I'm a corny guy like that, but I'm telling you, man, I'm ODing on Yellowstone. Oh, it's good. Oh my so god, so good. What uh, so what good. about uh, front row center for uh, any act or group, dead or alive? You can see anyone perform for you. I'd like to see Malcolm X. I would yeah, love to hear first, him. In- this is the first uh, Malcolm X we've had, isn't it, Josh? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah we've had yeah. some good ones. We've had some good ones. Love yeah. it. Love I would it. love to see him to speak. That would what, be- at, at what point? He, he, there was a lot of iterations of Malcolm X. You know, the beginning, the middle, and unfortunately, towards the end, like, when would you like to hear him speak when he was first preaching about, you know, uh, Islam, Islam. And, and uh, I was trying to think of the, the leader's name at the time. Um, the honorable Elijah Muhammad. Yes. But you know that, or when they had their riff or when he went on his journey and, and, and uh, through the middle East and Africa and came back and was kind of a different person. When would you like to hear him speak? I'd like to hear him speak early and late yeah when he finally became the the uh communications minister for the nation of islam i'd like to hear him live speak as he talked about the things that were taking place in america at that time for black people 
And then I'd love to hear him speak when he came back from Mecca. And just to compare and contrast how his philosophy may have changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah that Good answer. Cool. I would, I would, uh, that would have been a cool thing to be a part of. Gus, I can't thank you enough, buddy. We got to do this again. Please come back. Hey, Rex, man. This is an honor. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Uh, I've seen I've seen your life. And uh, I'm proud of you, man. Thanks, bro. I'm proud of you per for persevering. You know, as Sylvester Stallone said in one of his Rocky movies, the testament of a champion is not getting knocked down and then getting back up. But he can he get knocked down get back up and continue to move forward. That's what you're doing, brother. And thank Amen. you. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Can't thank you enough, bro. Much it's love. It's been a pleasure. And I got to tell you, um, Augustus Cornelius Johnson, I have to tell you that I don't always uh, write. I wrote notes from this. I mean, and I, I don't do that. Uh, Herophany. Is that right? Herophany. Herophany, like an epiphany, but it's a gotcha. Got the roots now. It's like a and feeling then, of, um, yeah. That I really love delight in the excellence of other people. Mm -hmm. That that's a great way to go about your life. Thank you for that. I want to say <laughs> one more thing. One more thing, Gus. Uh, you met, you said something earlier, and it was about you know that I, I didn't know at the time I was going to play in the NBA. I remember. Um, the first time Dick Vitale said my name, I was in high school. I remember the first time Al McGuire said my name. I was like, you know, I heard after the game, I'm a freshman at Kentucky, Al McGuire's at our game. And for many of my teammates, you know, if not all of them, it is, it's something you'll never forget. And that you're aware that going in this stage of your career, that these, these young men and women uh, that you're covering, this game is going in their vault and it's something they'll never forget. So just thank you. I thank you for all you're doing. I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate all of you guys' kind words. I, I love, you know, I think one thing we're missing in, in the world sometimes is fellowship. Uh, sometimes you need to, men need to talk to men. Women need to talk to women. Men and women need to talk to each other. Uh, it's spiritual. And I think that you guys establishing something like this in such a positive way, knowing that all young people are going to face obstacles in life. That's a guarantee, you know, but how do you deal with obstacles? How do you deal with setbacks? How do you deal with heartbreak? Um, and quite often it's through prayer and it's through community. And uh, I like doing things like this with good people. Um, and Rex, I've known you for a lot of years. Hop, mm -hmm. I'm getting to know you, but I know you, y'all two are boys and the love that you two share with each other is real. And you don't have to do this, what you're doing here, but you're doing it because of the greater good. Marcus Aurelius said the most important thing in the world is for you to be a good person and to strive for the greater good. And, and I see you guys doing that in your show. Much That's love, bro. Thank you, Gus. My Let's man, do it again guy. sometime. All right. The Thank boy key. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Can't right. thank you enough.
Yeah, all right, bro. So you got good. my number, right? I got your number. All right, man. Hit me up. Give Hop my number too, just in case. I will. Where's Hop in LA? He's in Texas. I'm in uh, Austin, Texas now. Oh, we yeah. coming down there to do the Alabama game, man. You should holler at me. I will. Are you, are you there on the weekends? Yeah. Yes, sir. You've been hanging out with Matthew McConaughey down there? All right. All right. All right. Yeah, no, right. I have not. I have not. Yeah, but anyway, hit me up. I'll get you some tickets to that game if you want to go. Oh, I and Maybe you can field pass, you know, so you can hang out. Oh, that's it. Hey, be careful now. No, I got you. I got you. All right, Gus. I got All right, you. Gus. My Thanks, man. bro. Man, have you. a great day. You too. Yeah, you too. That was amazing. I'm just going to go. I just want to go and, I don't know, just somewhere alone and feel bad about myself. No, you can what? do it right here with me. You are All right. a piece of shit. Misery loves company. You're a piece of shit, too. Thanks. Yeah. Team. We're a team. I mean, yeah. God, I feel stupid. I what? Like, half, half the whole thing are like. Hierophany. Cosmic right. law. It's all over my head. It's all over my head. What a fascinating brain. Wow. Really? And I had no idea. No. Me no idea that this was going to be the conversation. No. He, no, what a fascinating guy. Said, we didn't really get into it, but he's taking classes at Harvard right now. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, he's bypassing uh, some of the season, upcoming NFL season, I think, yep. to take classes at Harvard yeah. Yeah. at 55, uh, 54. Yeah, it, it's all these successful people that we have on here. All of them are intellectually curious. Yeah. And, and their entire life, that's why they're, they've achieved what they've achieved and but none of them just sit around now they yeah. do things like that yeah like go back to school and learn new things and i mean from Shaq to you know uh, isaiah to everybody we've spoken to katie lang and martina navratilova and the things they're doing now uh it it's it's humbling and again i feel like a piece of shit yeah i'm with you but the I think the common thread, though, is, I mean, so many smart people, obviously, so many talented people, but the drive, the yeah. drive, that inner drive to whether it's to succeed or to not fail. Either right. way, right. Uh, there's something there that's just super uncommon. Um, yeah. So feel well, fortunate. Two, one thing he said that was interesting, too, is was talking about, you know, once he found announcing he was he was just good at it and yeah. and he just loved i mean it, it consumed him and that's the passion you have to have to be successful at things and it, it it made me realize you know all three of us in some regard because some people you know aren't good at what they yeah. love yeah. you know and to have to be passionate about something and we've succeeded it's lucky, you know, yeah, and luck. you see it in, in, in guys, basketball players that are six, eight, have everything. And just don't, just don't, don't like really to play like to play, yeah. you yeah. know? And it's like they have, and can, and, and can still be good, really good. Some even great players. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's just crazy. Yeah. It, that's nuts. That yeah, is. It but is. yeah, to, to uh, find a passion and, and you're talented at it. It's a blessing. You know, it, it, he, when he was telling that story, it took me to, I'm talking 
uh, interviewed our friend Jason Sudeikis a while back. And the one thing that I asked him, because he went to college, went to uh, play junior college basketball. He loved basketball. All he wanted to do was play basketball. And after his freshman year, the coach kind of told him, hey, man, you know, your grades aren't so good. You might kind of want to redshirt you. And at that moment, he kind of pivoted. He took some he had taken some drama courses and, and, and been in the drama club in high school. Uh, but the second that he kind of pivoted and went into, you know, the acting and comedy, he said he was just eaten up with it and See, just felt felt yeah. like, you know, and, and driven, you know, going right. to every club and watching everybody. But it's just, it's amazing. And I love that because, you know, most of the people we have on have some kind of sports background. Right. And we, we're all kids. We all think when we're nine and 12 and 15, we're going to play sports for a living. Yeah. And, yeah. and for most of us, and I've seen it happen with my friends, you know, all of our friends. There comes a point where you have to pivot, and mm -hmm. now what are you gonna what are you gonna spend your time doing? Mm -hmm. But That's it's very interesting, in, interesting too, because I saw that interview you did with today. Mm -hmm. he, he said something that is true about all these people: the, the the sports background and yeah. fundamentals, and the way you have to learn to work, be and, diligent, and, yeah. and, and 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 team. And the attention to detail, having coaches that, yep. it, you know, instill that in you. Then when you pivot, you know how to handle yeah. Th yeah. this new career because you because of the organization. Of sports Team sports. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So. All right, buddy. Well, uh, another good episode. That was 46. Let's uh, meet up next week back here. Same time, same channel. For the Rex Chapman Show with Super Cool Josh Hopkins, powered by basketballnews.com. <laughs>